I want to talk to you a few minutes before I talk to you. Can I do that? This is my sermon before the sermon. And so this really is an amazing time. And I'm hearing from a lot of people because things are shifting and changing quite dramatically and at an accelerated rate. And many people do not process change very well at all. They don't. And then if you make change, as it were, occur quickly, it becomes uncomfortable to a lot of people. And uh, even when the change is positive. And so what is happening right now are things that really, I think the Holy Spirit has focused its attention upon laser-like. And I want you to know that we here at Inspire Church, I think we are incredibly positioned by God to make a statement to the world and to our community about who we are and who Jesus is. Amen. You say, why do you say that? I'll tell you why. Churches are scrambling all over the city, making adjustments in their board membership, ministry staffing, all kinds of things. And you know what we're doing? We're sitting here thanking God that God helped us during the years to have already put all of this in place because of the conviction we have that a church needs to represent the community that it is in. Amen. All of that stuff went from my spiritual sons. Unless you think that that was prompted, it wasn't. They surprised me this morning. And quite frankly, when I first saw it, I was in the office and watching the service. And and it it just brought tears to my eyes. But I want to thank all of the wonderful men of God there. I understand there's still a number of them that are sending personal greetings to me. I I haven't even... I've got a long list of return text messages too. So don't bother me this afternoon. Because I'm going to be returning text messages and emails the rest of the afternoon. Amen. And, And... And I'm grateful for that, if you understand what I'm saying. I I want to thank you for the honor that you show us. My wife and I, the ministry staff, I speak on their behalf as well, the board of directors. Uh, But this is an incredible opportunity. One of the things that you learn after you've lived a little while is that timing is vital to the success of any endeavor. But it's especially true to the success of kingdom purposes. And the reason for that is, is because kingdom purposes depend upon the empowerment of God for them to be successful. You can only go so far. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And without kingdom empowerment of the presence and spirit of God, you can't obtain or achieve kingdom objectives. And so all of that gets back to what I just said, that timing becomes crucial to those kind of events. Ecclesiastes 1 and 3 says it clearly. To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. One of my very favorite quotes, I learned this just as a young man, is from William Shakespeare, Julius Caesar. And it says, There is a tide in the affairs of men, which taken at the flood leads on to fortune. Omitted All the voyage of their lives is bound in shallows and in miseries. On such a full sea are we now afloat, and we must seize the current where it serves or lose our ventures. Boy, is that the truth. Whenever the tide comes in, you better be ready to float your boat. Because there are other times I don't care how much you want to float, how much you would like to sail, 
you're stuck on a sandbar. And you can put all the energy into the world into an effort whose time has not come. And it will not go anywhere. But when its time has come, then it's a different matter. Here's the tragedy of that. As with most Kairos moments, many people will miss it. That's absolutely a fact. Most Kairos moments, people don't see them. I say that because I fear that people will not see the value of the moment that we're in right now or the significance of the times in which we live. Look at Luke 19, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Verse 21. And now as he drew near, Jesus that is, he saw the city, that's Jerusalem, and wept over it, saying, if, did you get that? If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, turn to someone near you and say, I have a day that's coming. Amen. If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. What was Jesus talking about? The key to understanding these verses is actually found in Paul's writing. In Galatians 4, beginning verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Verse 5, To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. When did it happen? In the fullness of time. Here's what is so astonishing about that. It's staggering, actually. And that is from the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden from that moment forward. Everyone, including Adam and those born into his family, needed redemption. And yet thousands of years went by. And God would begin to reveal a promise and then another layer of the promise and yet another insight and dimension of the promise. And the people that he entrusted these promises to were the Jewish people. And now the momentous occasion has arrived when this prophecy is going to be fulfilled that the Messiah would come and redeem his people. And the very people to whom he had entrusted this promise, Jesus now weeps over the vision holders of this promise of God and says, if only you had been able to recognize your time. But you didn't. For thousands of years they had carried the vision but didn't even recognize it when it knocked at their door. And this is what I think is scary. That you better be ready when the wind comes in and the tide begins to rise to get your boat out of the mud. Amen. Can I hear somebody say hallelujah? And relative to the current dynamics of the circumstances socially that we're addressing in the United States. I love the fact that this church is so uniquely positioned. If you're visiting with us today, you don't know this. Under normal circumstances, less COVID-19. We're a third, a third, and a third across the board. A third Hispanic, a third Anglo, a third African-American roughly. We have over 40 nationalities in the church. And that is represented all the way down from the board to the staffing of the church, its pastors, and all the ministry heads right on down to its membership. Now, why do I say that? Is it because, and, and by the way, 
None of this stuff that you're seeing right now, they would have done this on Father's Day anyway if everything had been cool and there was no COVID-19 and no one had ever heard of the horrific murder of George Floyd. If none of those things had happened, these guys, thank you. And and I I hope that I'm going to text each of them today. But let me just say this. Under normal circumstances, that's who we are anyway. We didn't wait for a crisis to become that. We're already that. Amen. And we've worked hard to get here. The only segregation that's done in this church is that there are Spanish-speaking people who don't speak English who will have their service. They're part of Inspire, and they will meet here at 2.15. And that's the only place that you'll see any separation occur, and it's only because they speak Spanish as their first language and want to continue to do that. But many of their kids are in the service here this morning. That's who we are. And having said that, now, what does that mean to this congregation? It means you are positioned to make a difference in this world right now. You are. Everybody else is talking about what needs to be done. Look around. We're doing it. Is there room for improvement? That's a shoulder blade. That's not an angel's wing sprouting out of my back. Meaning, of course, there's room for improvement. There will be until Jesus comes. But we're a lot further down the road than many people are. And the one thing we've learned in this whole process is when people come together, live life together, minister together, serve together in ministry teams, you know what happens? And they do that with the empowerment of God. It makes such a huge difference because what's happening right now is the world is seeing the utter bankruptcy of human systems and their inability to address issues like this. Now, do we live in times when you have to be careful? Yes. I've never been on social media, don't ever intend to. But we should be really cautious about some of the things we say. And make sure they're constructive and lend themselves to unity rather than division. Amen. Amen. This past Wednesday night, we had a panel discussion. And so many people had asked for the opportunity to offer suggestions and questions. And strangely, whenever we got all the questions in, we actually opened it up to the entire church. Sent out text message, emails. There were only nine people that even submitted questions and some of them were about COVID-19 and other things that have no bearing at all on the current situation. And so, you know, relative to the circumstance, there's only one way that I can interpret that and based, that is of course influenced by the amazing comments that we're hearing from people within this church. And if you think I'm boasting, no. But if I was, it wouldn't be wrong. And here's why. Paul said, look, guys, You claim to be an apostle. I've been shipwrecked three times. I've been stoned, left for dead. I've been beaten. I've been in fastings. I've been in hunger. There is a time when you need to to lay out your credentials of apostleship as it were. I'm not calling myself any titles. I'm not into that. Not into that. But there is a time whenever you put your achievements out there to let them speak. And what I'm saying is the one thing we've learned in this whole process, we used to see on a bumper sticker years ago, and it goes like this, 
no Jesus, no peace. That's N-O, Jesus, N-O, peace. But no Jesus, K-N-O-W, and you will K-N-O-W, peace. Amen. He is the glue. You hear me? He's the glue that holds all this together. Read what the Bible said in Hebrews. He holds all things together by the word of his power. He created it. He holds it together. Absent from his creation. Creation falls apart. And with that in mind, this coming Wednesday night, and listen up, because I, I realize some people are not into stuff like this. They feel they're, they're afraid they're going to be confronted or made to feel uncomfortable. Somebody's going to shout at you. No, 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 no. That's what I'm urging. Let's love each other. But we will begin an excellent resource, a Bible study this Wednesday night that is entitled Undivided. And it's a Bible study on unity and how to achieve it. And it will equip you so you can go home and you can do more than just say, I believe in unity. But you'll help understand each other. Because one of the things that's happening right now is people are making comments and tweeting and twittering and chirping and everything else. And they, they make statements that sometimes are offensive and don't even know it. And it's a shock because their hearts are actually pure. But they say things that they don't even realize or can be painful to another part of our community. And so it's going to be very, very helpful to me. And before I get done, huh, I told you this is my sermon before my sermon. So I want you to please come on Wednesday night. Because if you don't come, you know what happens? People vote with their feet. And if you're not here, then I'm going to say, I guess folk didn't want to come to a Wednesday night service where this was the topic. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put it on the church website. <laughs> and which it needs to be there anyway, but we intend to post it after the Wednesday night service. And so you can go to, uh, there will, I'll send out an email and I'll send out a text message this week where you can download the resources for this. And then finally, just before I preach, an amazing man of God this past Wednesday night who I preach for, a son in ministry to me, originally from Jamaica, pastors a thriving church in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And uh, been connected with him since he was a young teenage boy and uh, attending a Bible school in Kingston, Jamaica. And uh, I used to preach in that church. And he sent a clip. I didn't ask for it, didn't know what was coming. He didn't send it to me. He sent it to one of the staff and said, I want you all to play this. And that was before the Wednesday night. And uh, I'm going to say this as a disclaimer. I didn't know it was coming. It looks like this Sunday, everybody just pat me on the shoulder, including me, but I'm not. <laughs> so I'm going to say that. Just forgive me. Like Paul said, if we're talking about the details of our apostleship this morning, just have patience with me for a moment because there's a reason I'm doing this. I'm trying to show you that you are positioned like no other church in this city that I am aware of to truly make a difference. Amen. And so my boasting, like Paul said, is not in me, it's in you. My boasting is of you. This is Pastor David Drisdale.
Hey, Inspire Church. Most of you don't know who I am. My name is David Drisdale. I am out of uh, British Columbia, Canada. And um, I log on to your sessions more than you know, in part because your pastor is my pastor. And I noticed this evening you were having a session on um, bridging the gap, re all of these racial injustices and all of that. Just wanted to know that from I was a boy, your pastor has been inspiring my life and um, his love for the cause and, and, um, and missions and the way he treats me. And then every time he comes to Pentab here in BC, he's just, I tell you what, I have not been to Inspire Church yet. But I'm sure that, you know, a church like yours, you are already living, uh, walking the talk, so to speak. Some people have concepts, but I know you're walking the talk. So my pastor, Pastor Richard Hurd, I just wanted to know, sir, I miss you so much. And I can't wait for you to be back in your other church here in British Columbia. Love you and love to the Inspire family. Bye-bye. Thank you, Brother David. Amen. And when I saw that, it brought tears to my eyes. And if you're wondering, this is Father's Day again. No, we're not having any problems within the church. What I'm trying to suggest is what he just said. That we are positioned in a way that we can impact our community like very few churches I am aware of. They're looking for this model. When people like Sam Rodriguez come here, his jaw fell open. And Sam asked me in the office this question. How did you do this? I said, what? He said, how did you get everybody together like this? The different groups. He said, I preach in churches that have different ethnicities within it. But he said, I've never, he said, I don't see this. And there was a steady stream of pastors and ministry leaders in and out of the office that morning as they're giving me updates and so forth. And I said, I pointed to them. I said, you see those guys, those ladies? I said, that's why. Because we have elevated people to true positions where they can serve of every ethnicity and every part of our community as representative leadership. Amen. And therefore, we create a safe place. Now, that's my message before my message. Say, amen, pastor. That was a good sermon. Would you do that? Well, come on. If you're not going to say it, I will. That's good preaching, pastor. That's a joke. That's a joke. Now then, I want to turn to the text and get into the Word of God this Father's Day. Matthew 13, another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. I want to speak this morning from the subject, While men slept. While men slept. Father, if you would speak to us now and impact every man's heart, I would be most grateful in Jesus' name. And once again, everybody said, Amen. While men slept. The first part of my message today, I'm going to lay out some fundamental, as it were, kingdom principles, things that you need to be aware of, and then I will close with something empowering to all of our men. Let me begin. Sleep is a necessary and natural phenomenon. God created your body to require 
sleep. Sleep has the ability to restore your body as you rest. The reason primarily for that is metabolism slows down while you sleep. Scientists believe that the slowed rate of metabolism allows your cells to rejuvenate and recover from the trauma that is caused as they are working full time to fulfill their assignments within the body during the other 16 hours of the day. Sleep also seems to serve as a backup function that helps you process and preserve memories so the experiences of the day are not forgotten. It's kind of like a backup on the hard drive of your computer. You spent the whole day working on a report that you must have on the boss's desk in the morning. And during the night, your computer crashes. You're in trouble if you don't have a backup drive. When you sleep, your brain literally backs up and stores the memories of the events that you have experienced during the day. If you go very long without sleep, it will literally affect your health. Its consequences can be so severe and dire as to cause you to lose your life if you don't get enough sleep. The longest recorded time that anyone has ever gone without sleep is held by Randy Gorner, who decades ago stayed awake as part of a school science fair project for 264 hours or a little over 11 days. More recently, about eight years ago, a 26-year-old man in China determined that he was going to watch every single game of the World Cup that year and stayed awake literally until the 11th day when he died. His body could not take being awake that long without rest. As you begin to lose sleep, there are progressive signs that your loss of sleep is impairing your ability. Among them, after 24 hours of sleep, you become irritable and experience impaired judgment and decision-making ability. Also, within 24 hours of not having any sleep, your hearing and vision are affected. So is your coordination. At the 36-hour mark without sleep, your metabolism and body temperature are so affected that your body temperature begins to fluctuate, as does hormonal balances. The imbalances begin to occur. These imbalances affect your thinking, your rationality, the way you feel, a number of other things are affected. You begin to experience further speech impairment and decreased motivation. If you were lazy to start with, and I hope I'm not talking to anybody that is, at the 36-hour mark, you're kind of like the Galapagos land tortoise, you know. Just... You have really lost motivation. You become also inflexible in your reasoning and your logic. Two plus two doesn't add up to be four, and you know all the reasons why and will not allow anyone to tell you why that's wrong. Amen. You begin to take risks that you wouldn't take if you were properly rested. After three or four days without sleep, you will literally begin to hallucinate both seeing and hearing things that are not really there. The long-term effects of chronic sleep deprivation have negative consequences on your health that are serious and, as I've already pointed out, life-threatening. Among those are high blood pressure. Your body loses its ability 
to regulate your blood pressure if you don't get enough sleep. Heart disease ensues if you don't get enough sleep over an extended period of time. Sleep deprivation is known to cause strokes. It is a primary cause for obesity. Aha, there it is. I knew I wasn't getting enough sleep at night. Amen. And on and on we go. Type 2 diabetes is caused by a lack of sleep in some people. And mental health issues result from the lack of sleep. How much sleep you need actually varies from person to person. Most adults will require seven to nine hours sleep a night. When you're younger, in fact, all mothers know this, a newborn infant sleeps a great deal. And as they get older, they require less and less sleep until they're grown. There's a reason for that. Their body metabolism is firing so rapidly as their cells experience mitosis and divide and new cells are being created as they grow, that the rate of sleep or the amount of sleep necessary to help restore what is being expended in their cells is dramatic. It is for this very reason that you will end up spending one-third of your life asleep whether you realize it or not. For that purpose, that is, for the fact that it is well known that most of us need a third of the day just to recover from the trauma of the day, just living the way your heart beats, the way the blood is pumped through your body, and on and on we could go. For that very reason, many events that changed history were intentionally planned to take place while men slept. Momentous events that have changed the course of human life on this planet took place, deliberately planned and strategized to occur when people were asleep. For example, September 12, 1759 in Quebec, Canada, the French headquarters in Canada was under attack by Major General James Wolfe of England. After the French successfully repelled three attempts by the British to invade Quebec, the governor felt they were safe and wrote a letter to a friend. And these are his words, preserved for us to hear. We are no longer concerned, he wrote, about the security of Quebec. End of quote. However, that night while they slept, the British climbed the north wall along the St. Lord's Seaway and at dawn caught the French unprepared. That attack planned at a time the French were sleeping and had been lulled into a false sense of security, caused the British to win a battle that is much more decisive than you might think. That attack and winning that battle against the French cost the French more than just a city. The British literally wrestled the entire North American continent away from the French and gained control of all North America as a result of that one attack. The North American continent came under the authority of Great Britain because men slept. The result was that there was a, a war called the Revolutionary War. You've all read about it. Around Christmas time, 1776, discouragement was rampant among the American continental forces who were fighting for their independence of the independence of 13 colonies not from France now but from now Great Britain 
A number of defeats had been suffered back to back, and it was looking dark for the American Continental Army. But while the British slept, General George Washington led 2,500 ill-equipped, poor, poorly prepared, and barely even dressed soldiers across the Delaware River at Trent, New Jersey. And on December 26, 1776, the day after Christmas, the colonial forces surprised the British and won a decisive and major victory. That victory is considered to be the major turning point of the Revolutionary War. Scholars tell us that without that victory, there would not have been an army left for General Washington to command while men slept. While people have slept, there have been many other tragedies that have also occurred. Fires, tornadoes, floods, events that took place where people have lost their lives or they've lost loved ones. For example, June 25th, 1957, I remember it so well. While Cameron Parish in southwest Louisiana slept, Hurricane Audrey came roaring in, and they estimate that at least 529 people lost their lives, if not more. They don't have an exact count, because many of the people who lived along the coast, the marshmen, the seamen, the oil field workers, they were never heard from again. Nobody knows where they are. On my mother's side of the family, I was told we lost 34 members of our family. There were a lot of seamen, oystermen, fishermen, shrimpers, oil field workers, or men like my granddad who were outdoor trappers and, and hunters. They lost their lives. My granddad didn't, but members of our family did. There was a reason that we lost so many to the tidal wave and hurricane force winds that occurred during the night that night, and that is the key. It occurred during the night. You see, the Weather Bureau had not developed the sophisticated technology to forecast weather the way that you and I are accustomed to now. We get upset if they forecast rain and miss it. Back then, they could only guess at the direction of hurricanes. Now, with the sophisticated equipment that can measure Barometric pressure, pressure, high pressure, computers to feed all that into, satellites that look down from space to see where everything is at. Anybody remember the days of weather balloons? Well, those days are gone now. All they could do was forecast to the residents of Cameron Parish that Hurricane Audrey has stalled offshore. We don't know what may happen during the night. It's better that you evacuate. But those seasoned, salty men and women raised who had experienced many a storm because they lived on the coast said we'll wait till the morning then and they listened to their radios until late up at night and said let's go to bed there's nothing happening back then to leave cameron parish sam I'm, i know you remember this to get over the intercoastal canal the intercoastal canal literally cut off cameron parish from the northern part of the state of louisiana and to get over the intercoastal canal, there were two ferries in operation. And when suddenly that storm took a dramatic turn inland during the night while men slept, they had to stop the ferries and they could not operate them because of the extreme weather. And those who stayed behind and slept paid the ultimate price for relaxing their vigilance in the face of danger. 
great losses have occurred when people made the mistake of thinking they could stop being vigilant. That's true even in the Bible. Not only did defeats occur, but others won great victories, literally resulting in the toppling of kingdoms, all because somebody made the mistake of thinking, "Mm, I can relax. In the book of Daniel, we are told that while men slept, the Medes and the Persians entered the capital city of Babylon, conquered the city in Belshazzar. The king was slain. It was while Samson slept that his hair was shorn and he lost his strength. It was while the mighty Canaanite general Sisera slept that he was killed by a woman with nothing more than a mallet and a tin peg in her hand as she pinned him to the ground, driving that peg right through his temple. Jonah fled from the calling and assignment of God on his life, got in a boat going to Tarshish, and while he went to sleep in the boat, a storm arose. And men came to take him and said, I don't know what you've done, but you've angered God because it wasn't one of us. We cast lots, and it fell on you. And Jonah was cast overboard. Still others suffered shame that caused their names to be stamped throughout all time in history with disgrace. I mentioned earlier the great general Sisera who had killed many warriors on the battlefield, and this at a time whenever... Your reputation was determined by your strategy and ability to kill warriors in combat and to, and to strategize their defeat and to lead other men into battle. This great, mighty general who was the mightiest of his time. His name should have gone down in the West Point Hall of Fame. Instead, he is derided as being insignificant to history because... It was a woman that killed him with a tin peg and a hammer. He wasn't killed on the battlefield with a sword and a spear or with arrows. No, in fleeing a battle he lost, the adrenaline surge finally wore down. Do you know what I'm talking about? The adrenaline is so pumped that every nerve is alive and you've got tunnel vision and you're focused in. When that lifts, it's like, Man, I need to close my eyes for a few minutes. And he did in the tent of J.L., a woman who lived in the area. And she crept up with a tin peg and a mallet and pinned him to the ground. And from that time forward, instead of being known for his greatness as a general, his name was used. (laughs) You will end up like Sisera. His name became synonymous with shame and defeat. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 43, but know this, that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. He said in Matthew 25, 5, that while the bridegroom slept, they all slumbered, or the bridegroom tarried rather, they all slumbered and slept. And five of them ran out of oil because they weren't watching with the bridegroom and monitoring the supply of oil. It was while the disciples slept that Judas came with soldiers to betray Jesus. Three times Jesus went to his disciples and said, wake up guys, they'd go to sleep. Couldn't you watch with me just one hour? And he'd go off and pray and come back. And, guys, can't you just watch for, with, one, with me for one hour? And finally the third time he just said, sleep on now. 
Son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And that's when Judas came and took him. In our text that I've read today, we read that the goodman, the man who owned the field, who was the investor, the farmer, the agricultural giant in his community, that he bought good seed and he planted it with the expectation of a harvest. But while men were sleeping, his enemy, and the scripture says that, your enemy came. His enemy came. He had an enemy. I don't know where he got that enemy. I don't know how he grew him. I don't know how it developed. I don't know if it was jealousy. I don't know if he made an investment that flourished and somebody else made one that fell through. I don't know. I don't know if it was a business transaction where they're, you know, they're, 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 they're bidding on something and the enemy gets cut out and he wins. I just don't know. I don't know what it was. Scripture doesn't go into any detail. All I know is he had an enemy. I don't know if they dated the same woman early on and, and he won the woman's hand in marriage and the other guy, I'll get even with you someday for that. I just don't know. And neither does anybody else, but this is what I do know under cover of darkness that his enemy came and sowed tares in the field among the good seed. And here is what is really worthy of noticing about this is that, is that tares are a poisonous weed that render the harvest inedible. And so if they are grown and they are harvested and you're not careful to pick them out, they will run your expectation of a harvest. And that basically summarizes what the enemy wants to do in every life. Compromise your effort, your time, your energy, the money you spend, the education you fought to get. He wants to rob you of the harvest. All of the years you have spent moving in a particular direction. And sometimes, just to be crank, frank with you, it's, it's hard not to sleep. Like Sisera, you fought and you fought and you fought and, and you let your guard down. But you've got to fight. Did you know that for your family? I'm talking about basic principles. You've got to fight for your marriage. Oh, yes. You've got to fight for your relationship with God. You've got to fight for your ministry. You've got to fight to keep your business open. You've got to fight. You've got to fight in the weapons of our warfare, not carnal. I don't, I'm not talking about fighting people. But you've got to fight. You can't give up the struggle. The moment you take your eyes off of it, guess what happens? The moment you quit tending to it, guess what happens? The moment you quit taking care of your expected harvest, guess what happens? The moment that you look the other way after 15 years of investment, guess what happens? Guess what happens? How many times have I sat in the office, both here and at the legacy location on Wallace Hill, and family come in, a husband or a wife, I'm not talking about my immediate family. I'm talking about someone's family member. And they're there crying because they're losing their marriage. And they ask, I I, I don't know what happened. And literally, I had a guy tell me one time, well, I told her 30 years ago that I loved her. And while you were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed tears. 
You got to watch for your harvest. You got to protect it. You got to invest in it. You got to pursue her like you just met her yesterday. And you've got to make him feel like you just met him yesterday too. You know what I'm talking about. When he's not as buff as he used to be. (laughs) You know what I mean. All of this sinks down to another part of the anatomy. You've got to continue to make him feel like he's the best thing that's ever happened in your life. Amen. The moment you put your marriage on autopilot, you're in trouble. The moment you put your business on autopilot, you're in trouble. The moment I put a church on autopilot, we're in trouble. The moment our leaders put their ministry on autopilot, that ministry is in trouble. Look, you can do everything right for 30 years and then put, say, oh, well, I got this figured out. And the very moment you take that position, here comes the enemy, scattering tares among the wheat. Because he wants to spoil your expectation of harvest. The church that goes to sleep will find itself in trouble. I'm already just about done. Two things that I've learned about this that I think are critical and two things I want to leave with you but just before I conclude with principles that I hope to show you your significance guys to the kingdom of God and why the enemy fights you so hard number one these are two elements of danger you will face in the course of your life two and that is when you have vision and you pour yourself into something and pour yourself and pour yourself and then one day You say, this isn't working, and I'm burned out, and I'm stressed, and I don't know that I can go on. And do you know what a lot of people do at that moment? They give up the fight right there. They say, man, I I did it. I gave it my best shot. I just, I devoted everything I had to it. I've done it for years, and it didn't pay off, and so I think it might not be for me, and they quit. And you know what? They don't have a vision for what happens next. And the moment you become visionless, you become anchorless. I'm preaching better than you're responding. The moment you become visionless, you become directionless. And that's a dangerous place to be. And the other is, when you have vision, and you achieve your vision, and you succeed, but guess what happens? You finally get there. But that is as far as your vision carries you because you haven't planned beyond that stage. Your vision is not multifaceted enough to extend to the next years that will follow. And so your vision is, I've got to get my high school diploma. Okay, you got it, now what? You notice how many people go into this meandering Thing where they just keep going in circles as soon as they get out of high school make myself dizzy up here I'll go the other direction no I won't I think I'll just skip it you get the point get their college degree get the job of their dreams marry the person they wanted to marry and then that's as far as their vision goes look at Elijah His entire life, Elijah had tried to rid the nation of Israel of the bane, the poison of the prophets of Baal. And he succeeds. Finally, one afternoon, the top of Mount Carmel, let the God that answers by fire be God. You know the story well. He kills all the prophets of Baal. And then... 
because that was as far as his vision went. He goes and finds a juniper tree and gets under it and says, God, I'm ready to die now. I don't know what else to do. I'm the only one left. And God said, Elijah, <laughs> hello. Anybody home? Elijah, I've got 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. But nonetheless, since you ask me, <laughs> that's the one prayer you never want God to answer. God, I'm tired. Take me out of here. And the Lord says, okay. You say, whoa, take a time out, God. I was only joking. God took him serious and said, go find. And he named him. Elisha, and you mentor him in ministry because I'm going to take you out just like you asked me to. And the reason that he got taken out was because he didn't have a vision to extend beyond his success. You need to hear what I'm talking about. There is no success without a successor. Your family needs to project the values that you embrace into the next generation. You need to teach your kids so well that when you're gone, they carry on the very ministry of your life. When God calls you out, that he leaves your kids here to keep the torch held high. Inspire Church, that's what we're all about. Amen. One of the questions that was asked this past Wednesday night had to do with the number of people that were on the platform and they said shouldn't we have more people of color and if I don't know if you noticed it or not that we had uh, we had 11 people up here today and only three of them are Anglos that's pretty much typical of the average Sunday it might vary by one or two all of the band for example now I'm going to lift the curtain you see you go to the house of God in ancient Israel there was something called the veil you didn't get to look back there, only the priest did. I'm going to pick it up just a little bit and see you, the workings behind the veil in terms of the leadership of the church. Out of 11 people, all of our musicians are either Hispanic or African American. And the singers, we keep the same balance there. When people ask that question, this is what I want you to do. Look beyond the front line of singers and see these people back here. They're real. We wouldn't have what we have without them. Amen. And they work hard at it. And Robert Martinez came up and gave an excellent example. Not only that, I bet you didn't know this in the course of a service, that they intentionally play something. Did you hear Omar sing when he opened? Oh, that soulful sound. And they take something and they put a soulful sound to it. And then they play something more contemporary. And today they went CNW, baby. Amen. That last song in the Father's house, that was country and western all the way, country and western gospel. There was even chicken picking in that. Y'all don't know what that is? I laughed at Paulie. He's over there. Chicken picking, man. You say, why do you do that? Because we want to create a worship environment where everybody can come and worship God Almighty together. Can I hear somebody in the house give God some praise? I really think that most people don't think about it as much. And there were some that even asked for the choir. I tell you what. <laughs> if you can get the choir to come sing right now with COVID-19, let's see you try. 
because they don't want to be up here that close to each other and I don't blame them I've got two members of my family that tested positive this week because they went up to uh, don't worry I haven't been around them I'm not I won't get anything on you if I breathe them okay I haven't been around them but they went up to uh, A&M to move some one one of my granddaughters move her things and after they get back they get a phone call uh, from our roommates uh, Scotland uh, we tested positive and so she goes and yes she's at home in quarantine and I have a grandson in quarantine and his girlfriends in quarantine Maya and her family and all of these are connected to us but we haven't been around any of them all I'm saying is this COVID-19 thing you know it's out there I personally think that what they're doing is they've decided to let everybody work toward herd immunity not H-E-A-R-D that's my name herd H-E-R-D immunity just between me and you in the name of Jesus please let me have herd H-E-A-R-D immunity give me immunity amen because I'm at an age when this could have a bad effect on me so many people are choosing not to come right now but I think what they've done, they've, without articulating it, I think they've decided that we're going to all end up, before it's all over with, being around it. So my point is, is that I don't blame people in the choir for hanging back a little bit. That's why you haven't seen the choir. If we needed to explain that to you, then I'm offering that explanation. Forgive me for not doing it sooner. But I want to close with this. A church that goes to sleep. And are we having any problems? No, I don't want you to think that at all. No, we're not. We are a model to this city. We're a model to the community. That's the point that I'm making. Pastors are calling asking, what do you do? I say, have you done this with your music team? They're scrambling right now, adding pastors to staff. And here's the problem. And I'm not making fun. As they do that, I want them to edit this out so nobody will think I'm taking pot shots at churches around. But as they do that, what do you think their people are going to say? Yeah, you're reacting. Where were you years ago? We've already been doing this for many, many years. Many years. And I thank God. And because of that, I'm now able to stand up here and boast about you. Okay? And tell you there's a reason that the enemy wants men to sleep. Men, he wants you to sleep because number one, and I'm done, you are created for kingdom purposes, men. God created you. You have an assignment. You're not here just by accident. No, you're not. You didn't just end up in at Inspired Church. You are here by divine appointment. Oh, can somebody in the building... Shout hallelujah to the Lamb of God Almighty. Men, stick your chest out. Look up at God and say, I have a reason for being here. You're modeling the nature of God in this community. When you come together to worship, when you come together to to praise God, to hear the word, when you get involved in small group ministry, when you serve in the various ministries of the church, you are a living example. You are salt, 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 salt. You're changing some stuff. You're a city set on a hill. You hear what I'm talking about? You're a light that cannot be hid underneath a bushel. 
Don't put up that on autopilot. You're created for kingdom purposes. Number two, men who are priests to their family are a threat to Satan's agenda. You better know it. The devil is terrified of Inspire Church. I need somebody to shout an amen. The devil is terrified of Inspire Church. Why? Because of me. No, not me. Uh-uh. I love that movie from years ago. Do y'all remember? It was entitled Bear. And this little bear cub gets orphaned. Do y'all remember that? And it's out there in the wilds, thing in the Rockies. And this cougar, this mountain lion comes out and up. And it's, it's been chasing, stalking that bear. And it, it, and it's just about to pounce. And all of a sudden, the cougar turns around and runs. But why? Because the little bitty bear... It didn't know anything else but bare language. So it stood up on its little hind paws and went, not a deep-throated, just little, and all of a sudden the, the cougar turns around and runs. And the little bear's thinking, boy, that's pretty good. Hey, try that again. What he doesn't see is this great big old grizzly bear behind him. That whenever he stood his ground, a great big grizzly went. And that cougar said, oops. When you stand your ground, God empowers you. Somebody in the building, give God some praise in the house today. Satan wants your family, men, be priests to your home. You're a threat to his agenda. And number three, men who know God can change the world. And I'm done with it at this point. One man yielded to God. That's all it takes. One man yielded to God can change the world as we know it. You see, Satan only has three primary weapons that he uses. All these Thousands of years, he's never figured out a new strategy. James tells us what they are. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That word lust means desire. Carnal desires, carnal things that your eyes crave. And then pride of life, that's ego. The first... Yeah, you give in to the appetites of this. It will get you in trouble. I promise you it will. Yeah, it will. Nobody's perfect. Even Paul said that about himself. There's no good thing that dwells in this flesh. So stop listening to all that junk out there about everything is cool. Do what you want to do. Yeah, it'll get you in trouble. It'll cost you your marriage, your business, your career. Don't listen to all that stuff. Live your life on the principles of the Word of God. It's been trusted and tried by many others who preceded you, and it worked. But then the pride... Then the, the, the lust of the eyes. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, look at me. Man, we are so subject to this kind of stuff, aren't we? You know what they say about Americans? We spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like who won't like us after we get it. That's what we do. Spend ourselves into debt just so we can show off. 
and then the pride of life ego the testosterone thing <laughs> har, 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 you know I'm a man if you got to prove it it's a different story there's one person you ought to be striving to please and that is him right up there more than anybody else and Satan uses those three things over and 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 over again he's never learned any new strategy and so I just want you to know that man that on this Father's Day that even the devil knows how powerful you actually are somebody give God some praise right now stand with me across the building you're created for kingdom purposes men who are priests to their family are a threat to Satan's agenda and men who know God can change the world with every head bowed if there's one person here that needs God father I pray for their salvation right now I pray that you will save them I pray that you will wash them in the blood of Christ if you will pray this prayer with me today will begin your journey toward God in fact while every head is bowed is there one person here who will slip up their hand and say pray for me pastor I need God God bless you and you God bless hands that are going up God bless you God bless you God bless you sir God bless you ma'am God bless you God bless you God bless you in the back I see you father come into our hearts and I'm praying this prayer and you pray it with me those of you who raised your hand save me and write my name in the book of life Today, I confess that you're my Lord and Savior. I believe that you lived, died, that you buried, were buried, and that you rose again, and that your blood cleanses me of all sin. And today, I declare you're my Lord. Now, go on after this, beloved. We welcome all of you who prayed that prayer and those who might be watching. We welcome you to the family of God, but don't stop there. There are three other things that you need to do. Get baptized in water in the precious name of Jesus to follow our Lord and Savior's example. Number two, be filled full of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And number three, look, this you got to hear this. There's a new law that's been passed. If you live within 15 miles of Inspire Church, you have to come here to church. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You say, I didn't know about it. Yeah, I passed it while men slept, while the city council was, was sleeping. I, it's a joke, but you get my point. We'd love to have you be a part of Inspire Church as we begin to come back up with our services. Now, I want to pray in conclusion for everyone else. How many need God in their lives? Could I see God to move in their lives? Could I see your hand? You need a breakthrough. You need a you need a breakthrough family situation something's going on I see hands I see hands God bless you God bless you God bless so many hands Father in the name of Jesus I speak life I speak healing I speak deliverance over every person that is here and today as your family we lift up our voices men do this with me could men lift up their voices right now and say, in Jesus' name, we declare it as done. 
keep holding on to God, beloved. I love you so much. God bless you.